0: Welcome to the third episode of the Memories of Country Bees podcast and today we change tack a little bit where we have somebody with us who not only represented the Bees back in the 80s for the, the younger listeners that aren't aware of that but he then became one of uh, uh, an elite member of the management team with the Brandon Outfit who uh, was actually the last manager to pick up a major piece of silverware and, and joining me today is Alan Rossiter. Alan how are you getting on? Morning Martin, how are you? Yeah not bad, how uh, how are you finding lockdown?
1: Um, I was doing all right. I've, um, to be fair, I've been pretty flat out. I was on the first lockdown, but the last three weeks have gone really quiet at the moment. Cause I've been obviously, most people know I, d- um, I drive a heavy goods vehicle for a living, which has uh, kept me going through my speedway career as well. I did that as well. I carried that on when I was riding, so, but it's just gone a little bit quiet at the moment, hopefully next week, some uh, it might be start moving
0: again. Okay, and and will before we get onto the the business with the bees, obviously everybody read Alan the news last week about Swindon, and although it was probably gutting for you to to get to that stage, it, it could be the right time for that to happen so that the robins can get back on track in twenty two.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, at the time, obviously, um, I, I ain't gonna lie, me jaw did it to the ground, but when uh, all the facts are put in front of me and Lee Kilby, um, and now you look at it, and I think I still think it's the right decision. We're still in no man's land, no guide from the government as and when, how many you can have in. It's all just, just a bit too risky just to throw a load of money down the drain, we think. And uh, and also with the uh, stadium development as well, um, we would basically be just left with a shell. So uh, I think it's the right decision. And, uh, you know, we'll be pushing hard behind the scenes and making sure things are ready for 2022.
0: Well, obviously, we're in the position at the moment with with no team to, to go and support. So, fingers crossed that uh, everything sorts out as you want it to and the, and the Robins take to the track in 22 because you, you've been really successful in the last few years and you, you want to keep that going.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, when, I, when I first went into management, uh, I was a bit raw, around the edges, too passionate. And, you know, I, I learnt, I've, I've kind of learned a lot over the years and... Uh, I believe now I I am a good manager and uh, some people say, well, that's cocky. But (laughs) I think my record speaks for itself. I think, you know, with a Great Britain team, that that was a good job done. And also, you know, in my management with getting my, uh, to be fair, Coventry was the one that got the monkey off me back because I hit the the crossbar twice uh, with Swindon and then things went, was going a little bit uh, not enjoyable. And uh, it was a strange one, actually. Um, I heard Peter Oakes had uh, decided to call it a day, and uh, I called Mr. Sandu up. And uh, funny, he was just getting on a a plane to go to Tangier. And uh, he said, uh, "I said, oh, I see Peter Oakes has left." I said, "Uh, "Would you be interested in me becoming your manager?" And uh, I said, "Yeah." He said, "I'd love to." He said. He said, I'm literally just boarding the plane. I promise you, when I get at the other end, I'll give you a call, but straight back. And true to his word, he stepped off the plane, and and bang, he rang me straight back. So, you know, he was king, I was king, and uh, it kind of went on from there.
0: Uh, And what we'll do, Alan, is I'm sure um, most of the, well, nearly every Beast fan listening to this um, has an October night down on the South Coast in, in 2010 that we will never forget, and and we'll touch on that uh, a bit later on during the chat. But if you if you cast your mind back, sort of twenty five years before that, um, you made the jump from from Swindon to to Brandon in in nineteen eighty six to to hook up with the bees. How how, how did that happen? Because after you've been riding for Swindon, you've done a, a bit of a spell with Exeter, Weymouth, and um, very much based down in the in the southwest. And and then all of a sudden you, you rock up at Brandon with your your bleach blonde hair and your smile and and. Uh, <laughs> You must have met Charles Ockertree and, and, and I'm sure there were some uh, stories to tell about that.
1: Oh, some great stories about Charles, that's for sure. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was Bernard Crapper was a, was a big push behind it. Um, even though he, he was Oxford, I got on very well with Bernard and he, he told me that I should make that move and I think Colin Pratt was involved in the movement where Stevie Bastable went to Swindon I went to Coventry, and I, I, Colin always tells me the story. But I, there's another rider that went somewhere else. It was like a three-way triangle, and uh, I remember taking a good friend of mine up, uh, who sadly passed away recently, and um, we went in there. I'd like had, had him like as my manager to help me because he was a very good businessman, and uh, we went in there with these sort of kind of ideas of what I was on at Swindon, and I sat down, walked into Charles's office. Hello, Alan. Nice to meet you. I said, Mister Rockwelltree. All the it was always Mister Rockwelltree at the time. There's another, and I can go on to another thing after that. Could me be being cheeky as I was, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I Walked into his office, met, met his lovely wife Linda, and uh, in there went, went in, sat in the room. Me and my friend Phil, we sat there. You know, done the dignitaries. He said, right before we start, he pulled the left drawer open. Pulled out a piece of paper, shut that drawer. He said, I want you to have a look at that, please. I went, Right, okay. Then he pulled another drawer open, put another bit of paper down in front of him. And uh, as I said, I had all these ideas of what I wanted and what I was going to get, what I was going to go for. And me and uh, me and my mate Phil looked at the deal and I was kicking him going, Say nothing, say nothing. Just agree. <laughs> it was it was more than what I was asking for. It was like double what I wanted and a lot of bolt-ons and bits and bobs like. And um yeah, it sort of went on from there and we, we agreed. And then as as I you know, everybody knows, I was a bit of a cheeky sort of chappy, and um I, I everybody always called Mr. Ockletree. It was always Mr. Ockletree, I'd walk in the opposite. Evening, Charles. How are you? <laughs> and, uh, I, I, and nobody couldn't believe how I got. How he never said that when I got away with it. Um, but he just had that aura about him. He had that command of respect. But this cheeky little chap didn't really uh, kind of graft it at the time. But I was never stopped, so it kind of just carried on, and he never pulled me up on it. Um, I know many people he pulled up, he said, my name's Mr. Ockletree to you or someone else, but for some reason he let me get away with it. And, uh...
0: and, and I was going to say with, with the Ocultry family, they've been obviously synonymous with Brandon throughout the years, through the sort of, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s and, and further. And, and did you, have you learned anything from those initial, um, sort of meetings with Charles and Linda about obviously commentary with classes at a very, very professional club back in the day. And, uh, and I'm sure there'll be bits of that that you'll have taken into your management style. Yeah,
1: very much so. Um, and obviously, it's something that obviously Colin Pratt worked alongside Mr. Ockletree as well. And hence my relationship with Colin at Coventry. And then I got him in at Swindon. Um, it just, just the way everything's done and about being honest. I think you've just got to be, you've got to be honest. Sometimes people won't like it. But um, I think, what I learned from it you've got to be honest some as I said some people it it upsets a few people uh, you know along the way but I think the one thing is if you're truthful about things then uh, I think you you know that's the one big thing that I've learned from the from the aqua tree family and along with Colin Pratt is just be honest with with the people you're dealing with
0: so you, you've done your deal with Charles. You're, you're getting ready for your your opening night with with the bees at Brandon, and and you, at the reserve berth, you smashing a, a great pay twelve and your opening night, and a lot of fans <laughs> are thinking, "Whoa, you know, who's this hotshot kid?" Um, you, you got any sort of memories oh, of that that opening got night? Got some. In particular? I got some memories of that night and that day.
1: That's just as clear as day to me because it was pretty special. I remember when I le- when I'd left Swindon. Uh, in 86 to go to Coventry and then Swindon had their press day on that Saturday or a practice session. And I went up to have a skid because obviously I was riding that night. It was against Oxford, I do believe. Was it, is that right? Yeah, yeah,
0: it was. Yeah,
1: And I had a skid round Swindon and uh, my mechanic on the way up, he said, Oh, he said, i just sort of let you know, they were all taking the mickey out of you saying you look slow, didn't look very good and all that. And i, I thought, all right, okay. And, uh, obviously, Back then, we left in plenty of time. On, so I went home, I washed the bikes again, got the bikes in the van, drove up to Coventry, and when you get to um, the little village with the chip shop, yeah, Walson, Walston, when you get right. to Wollstone, yeah. obviously you get there. I, I come up the Foss Way, cut through the farm track, come down the end, you turn left, then you turn right, and you've got the chip shop on your left well got there and it was Ram solid. And I was sat in there for half an hour. And then you get to the bit where it goes around the one way system. You got, you go round to the right or, and you can't yeah. go forward. Well, my yeah. mechanic started panicking because it was like getting like 10 to seven ish. And, um, he decided, right, I'm going this way. <laughs> so we went up, <laughs> So we went up the no entry way past the pub, past Brandon Hall and come out down that way and cut across, then started overtaking, there was just a massive long line then into Brandon and we were just going outside cars, swerving in, in out, in out, in out and uh, I had a black Volkswagen LT28 diesel at the time and yeah we, we, we got there and we were a little bit late which was a bit embarrassing on your debut but it was the the crowds were just massive that night and I just we didn't allow for
0: that we just got caught up in it yeah and and you moved into a team Alan that was gonna was pretty much evolving at the time with uh, Tommy, Calvin, uh, John, Rick and, and David Barge who who would actually go on in the next few years to to win the league but what was it like riding with with people like Tommy and Calvin in particular who were Beginning to become sort of big names on the world stage at that point. Oh, it was great.
1: I mean, Rick, Rick was fantastic. Um, Tommy, Tommy. Once I got to know Tommy, we become very friendly, and he become very helpful. He he actually started doing a few of the engines for me, and uh, yeah, we we hit a good relationship. And obviously, Calvin was there too. It's um, so a good story about Calvin. Actually, it was um, uh, David Barge was always partnered with him and uh, kelvin we all know how good a gator kelvin was and uh this this one night, and every time we get to the corner and kelvin would dive in the corner and uh, end up bargey on the outside and Bargy would get shoved out wide scraping around and end up last come back in he was a man of few words was david and he was like and we and we were parked next to him and we kind of hit up a really good relationship and uh, one, one day, Bargey re- give it reverse re- ro- roles to Kelvin. And uh, Kelvin come back in the pit, screaming and ranting at David. What do you think you're doing? What are you doing? You took me right out of the fence. And Bargey, with his least words of it, he said, well, yep, 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 yep. Now you know how I feel. And just turned away and just walked off.
0: Brilliant. I mean, it's stuff like that that obviously the, the the public will see happen on the track, and you see people disappear back into the pits and wonder what goes on. And and I'm sure there's been um, plenty of, of those sort of things that happened without, with with any team. Um, I'm sure that you've had to deal with some since being a manager as well. But in um in that in that season, how you were you were ever present? Um, didn't miss a meeting. Um, Average just below six, and and many people thought that you were potentially going to be there for. For a bit of a longer stay, but it but it ended up being the one season. Do you know why yeah, that was? It was a plan. For you to again,
1: go back. halfway through the season, Charles called me into the office, and he said, uh, "He said, look, Alan. He said I'd like to make this uh, signing uh, p- permanent." And I went, "All right, okay." And things are going really good, and I'm still a bit young and a bit naive, and I was like, "All right, yeah, yeah." I said, um, and I said to him, "Well, I think Swindon might." You know, be a bit awkward on this. And he said, "Alan, let me stop you there now." I said, "Okay." He said, "If I want to buy Bobby Schwartz, I will buy Bobby Schwartz. If I want to buy Alan Rossiter, I will buy Alan Rossiter." Just like that. I went, "All right, yeah, okay." (laughs) Uh, It's like, "Okay, whatever." And uh, unfortunately. we with, with, with being local and the, the the local sort of uh what would you, what would you call it without putting it in the wrong words uh with without with 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 the, with the local and all all the hype and the media behind you i think that got in my way i think the yeah. fact that swindon made it clear they wanted me back and my local papers Was there was a lot of stuff going in my local papers, and bearing in mind, I was only a youngster then. And uh, you know, people, you know, in that, and it was, I think that was my, and and Bernard Crapper will always say, you know, God rest his soul, will always say that was my biggest mistake in the career. I should, and he was right. I should have gone, should have gone to Coventry, and probably my, uh, I probably would have uh, gone a bit further than I did. But in saying that, you know, I think I had a pretty, good career. I represented my country and everything. I did all them sort of things that some people just dream of. Travelled Australia for the Lions. Um, but yeah, I think, as you say, uh, that that was a reason, I think, the lure of being a local boy and coming home and seeing all the press I was getting, even though I wasn't in the team from the local paper, local boy doing this, that, that. And I just, I think the stars got stuck in my eyes and but BC always said to me, mate, my boy, make that move. You've got to do it. It'll be for the, the best thing you ever do. And sadly, I didn't listen to him. And I wish I, you know, or, you know, don't have no regrets, as they say, because, it, you know, it's, it is what it is. But uh, probably that was my biggest mistake. I didn't sign for
0: Coventry when Charles told me that he would buy me. But uh, like you say, the, the law of, of being going back to your, your hometown, um, like you say, local boy, and, and I guess that would have also been um, a bit of a, an easier option for you because there would have no doubt been sponsors and that sort of thing that that you'd probably easier get down in that that neck of the woods rather than than being um, Brandon.
1: I don't know. For, for for a while, I struggled to get some main like get some good sponsors, you know, in Swindon. I didn't really have that many. That you know, I just think I just got stuck with the fact of local boy getting hyped up in the press. And everything. And as I said, you know, probably a mistake, but you know, you can't look back. But you know, as I said, it's potentially one of the things that caught you know that that I did wrong.
0: And and in terms of your time with the bees, i seen just that one season, but there was we're gonna we're gonna quickly skip on to nineteen ninety four and a and a bit of a weird uh, situation occurred in fact that the Bees rode in a in a friendly meeting away yeah. in <laughs> Lublin in Poland um, for the Hans Nielsen farewell and a certain Alan Rossiter lined up in the Fighting Bees race jacket again how, how did that sort of booking well, come about? It, it, that was another
1: great trip I took my me and my brother-in-law and Sean Tacey the three of us all went together we met Sean, my brother-in-law uh, they, we all came, came in my van and we met uh, and my brother-in-law came up from Paul he rode as well, Martin Willis. He rode in the meeting, yeah. and uh, we met Sean down in Dover, where he parked his van, left it there. We unloaded, and three of us were uh, uh, headed out to uh, Lublin for this meeting because at the time it was very difficult to get into Poland. Like not, it's 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 got a bit difficult uh, now, but won't say that difficult. I would say back then when when we when I was riding, unfortunately, you had to be a top rider to get into Poland. Whereas now they're, they're kind of just taking anybody at the moment. And that's that's no disrespect to anybody. But I was at a certain standard then when I, I probably could have done a job. Um, but at the time, you know, it wasn't happening. So uh yeah, we we uh, went there. It was the first, very first floodlit meeting in Lublin as well. Uh, yeah. they put all these generator uh, temporary lights around the around the track, uh, and and you know, and for me, Martin Sean, remember we got caught on the autobahn, uh, so we decided we were going to be there for a while. Sean Tacey uh popped the bikes out on the autobahn and uh, he put an engine in his bike on in the middle of the autobahn. We <laughs> thought, well, we got time to kill the boards, we pulled everything out and then got his bike, and we all just Jumped in and then started putting an engine in on on the autobahn, um, but it, I remember it, it was such a long trip. Lublin, it was like you thought you got to Ross Lab and you still had another six hours to go, or four five hours to go. And obviously, it was
0: it was a fair one meeting for Hans, who is still involved in the sport now with, with the Danish uh, side, but. What was it like coming up against uh, as an opponent, people like Hans, who, who during that time were, were yeah, really interested? He, he was just, you
1: know, the, the professor was the professor one. He was just the ultimate professional. You know, uh, everything he did, he just did it properly. He kind of uh, is a bit like the new generation now, how it is for everybody else. Um, he was different to everybody else. He was focused. He was hungry. And he he was determined. To you know, he's obviously determined to get to the top, which he certainly did. And uh, yeah, you couldn't, uh, you could never fault him. He was like the old day, new era model rider. Whereas when we were riding, it was like give your mechanic, pay your mechanic, uh, buy him a few beers in the bar, then take him to the local chip shop. Um, but now it's like you leave the stadium, you've got a fast, healthy, shaped drink. You've got you're eating pasta. You know the days are long gone of going up in a bar, having four or five pints, um, going down the fish and chip shop, chicken and chips, pie and chips, whatever you know. Um, but that, I think Hans was that that ride then of what the riders are now. That you know, because the sport, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, it has is far more professional now. Where you see these riders, yeah. diet, nutrition's, everything. But back then. We kind of got away with it because apart with it, apart from the the top rider like hands and that, um, I mean, I even remember a great story with Eric Gunderson. I went to Denmark with Peter Glanz and went over there for the week to stay with him, watched a meet, did a meet, watched a meeting out there with him, and he had to come back on the on the DFDS ferry from Esbjerg to Harwich, and uh, Redding were riding at Cradley. And I remember up, up, up on, on the boat, on the disco, and uh, seeing uh, Eric Gunderson, uh, you know, at past three, quarter to four in the morning, couldn't even stand up. He was crawling across the floor of this boat. <laughs> and uh, he told me the next day that he got invited into the cabin's lounge. That was what happened to him. The, the, the captain <laughs> invited him into, into his lounge. And we, we then got to Cradley. And Eric just calmly just peeled off a 15-point maximum. Nobody could get anywhere near him.
0: <laughs> as you do. As he did quite often as well. Eric, obviously, one of the, the top guys in the sport. And and another one who, um, similar to people like Thomas Golob, obviously Lee Adams. Um, you know, some of the really, really top stars of the sport who, unfortunately, uh, and Lee obviously being very close to yourself, um, it, it's horrible when, when injuries like that happen to anybody. But Considering these guys were so safe, it sort of yeah, it does, your breath does away, really. It? You
1: know, it's really sad to see it. You know, obviously Lee uh, had such a great, distinguished career, hit the crossbar so many times, but you know, he was top of the averages in England, Poland, Sweden, but he just couldn't do it on that night. Uh, you know, that killer instinct on the night, what like the likes of Ricard, some Gollop, and all them kind of did like.
0: And Lee was somebody that a lot of Coventry fans would have uh, at times thought that he would have been a perfect fit for Brandon. He'd always been a, a great sort of visitor with other clubs and and had always seemed the sort of professional rider that we'd always had in the past. And I'd have loved to have seen him in the Bees colours. I think it'd have been, it'd been great for him. But obviously, he, he forged out a fabulous career finishing. Yeah, at, that's right. with you you know, I
1: think anybody would have wanted Lee Adams in their team. You know, as you say, it was... Um, uh, he was just the ultimate professional, again, a bit like hands. I think he modeled himself a little bit on hands too. You know, he had the Goddens and stuff like that. You know, he looked at him, you could see a lot of, a lot of things in Lee, of what you could see in hands.
0: Yeah, definitely. So we we get to the stage Al, where you, you'd received um, a few knocks. You had a, a really bad injury, sort of, I think it was 2002 time. And, and it, the time came for you to, to hang up the, the leathers and move into the management side at Swindon. How, was that sort of, was that a difficult thing for you to do? Because you'd obviously been riding for, for sort of 20 odd years. How how did that impact you uh, mentally?
1: There's there's I've got a few theories on how, how the, everything uh, affected me because um, over the years I've always prided myself. I always had good equipment. Even if I couldn't afford it, I got it, you know, and I wouldn't have no money left of me, but not a lot of money left in me bank. I'd make sure me bikes always were right. Clutch plates, If the mudguards were cracked. I couldn't ride with a cracked mudguard. I'd have to go and buy a new one. Um, but I would end. Up, I would always have um, good equipment. But 2002, that, the ill-fated day at Paul, um, I did a double header. I was riding for Oxford at the time, and um, I uh, at the first meeting, I I wrote a. Then uh, in the first, was it the first meeting? Oh, no, the second meeting, we did a double header against um, uh, Kings, I think it was Kings Lynn. And in the first meeting, Harry broke his arm. And then uh, in the second meeting, uh, I was going around the outside and Yani Kalenko picked up and uh, clipped Henker's, uh, T-boned Henker, and Henker's wheel then clipped my back wheel. And it sent me into the into the pulpit gate. And wow. Matt Ford was obviously panicking. So he just lost Havy and heat one with a with a broken arm. And like Matt was going, like, really panicking. We need you. We need you. And I was like, oh, struggling with my knee, Matt. I really can't. Look, come on, mate, you gotta do it, you gotta do it. Yeah, you know, star jumps, do star jumps. And I was jumping around and, and they couldn't <laughs> get my bike ready, so I jumped on out on Lars Gunnarstad lent me his bike. And I remember I made the gate and I went in the, the, and I was leading it. And as I just got to the third and fourth bend, I went to put the weight down on, on my, on my right foot on the footrest. And it was just like a thousand volts had gone through me, um, through me, through me. And I just screamed and I just rolled into the center green and just, just dropped the bike. Like just let it fall down on the floor on me. And I just, I was just like in agony. Um, then it turns out, obviously, I'd ruptured all three of my, main, my major ligaments in my leg. And I'd not long, wow. I'd spent, I'd had, had a testimonial at Paul, and I'd not long, not, not many people know this, but um, not long after my testimonial, um, we were trying for ch- kids and we couldn't have it. And so we decided to try for IVF. And I spent all, 50, I, I think I earned about £18,000 from a testimonial. And um, I, uh, we spent all our money on three attempts on IVF and uh, they all failed. So all my money had gone, which was a little bit of a going to be our sort of saving pot for a, a little bit of a de- rainy day or whatever. But we we decided we'd give it a go at three attempts on IVF. And uh, unfortunately, they, they, that that didn't work. And then... Just out of the blue, um, my first daughter came along in two thousand and two. We not long had her, and and after that, I, I decided. Well, we've been trying so hard and everything to have children. I've got this kid. Let me get out while I'm r- realistically in one piece, and and that was it. Thirty-seven. Yeah. That was Alan Ross that had done
0: then. And and the move to the the move into the management side at Swindon was that something again that that you touched on the bit with Sandu earlier on was that no, something that I, you initiated was, it or, or did, it was a bolt you, out of the blue? Of the um,
1: again, not many people know this, but at the time, Terry Russell and Matt Ford had got together and decided uh, between the pair of them they bought out Peter Toogood from Swindon, and I was still down in Pool uh, with my current wife. And uh, we were living down there, and I got a phone call from Matt. Obviously, he was a pool promoter, and he said, "I got some news. You must keep it totally quiet. Nobody need what needs to know that about this." Um, but me and Terry have gone halves on Swindon, um, but we want you to be the team manager and promoter. Be a promoter as well.
0: and and was that something obviously I mean, you took it on but was it something that straight away you thought absolutely i'm, I'm interested in that or did you did you no, wonder whether I, that was the right I, thing I, for you to be doing again
1: i i've, I've always loved speedway and I, I i always say this as well that you know my passion was still there i always say the day i lose my passion is the day i'll i'll i'll, I'll, I'll quit speedway uh, so while that's still going and still burning you know i'll carry on um, but yeah, no, it, you know, Matt just said, look, you know, there's, there's an opportunity here for you to carry on, you know, do this and that. And uh, it kind of went on from there, really. And uh, I say not many people know about the Matt Ford connection at the time. And I'm sure there's a few Coventry fans will yeah. be growling when they're listening to this now after the 2010 episode. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, with Matt and, and you know, the commentary public and the Comptey fans will always be split on Matt Ford due to the the issues that he had with Sandu and that sort of thing. But, you know, the one thing you could never take away from Matt was that, you know, he he tried to do the best for his club at all times. Some of the sides that he built down at Paul, um, you know, the Ricardsons, the Lawrence, the Havelocks, Nichols. I mean, Trump. you know, yeah, you, you couldn't help but sort of take your hat off and think, you know, I want my side to... I want my club to to do that and that's probably what we were like in the 80s um certainly 70s 80s with well, you, Ollie and you know whether you uh, like it or not you, so... you
1: can't help you know what you know like you, what you just said you know his drive for to be a winner and you know that we're not out there to yeah. you're not out there to be nice that's the one thing I have learned you know being nice doesn't doesn't get yeah. you championships or win, or win you anything you know, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna upset people along the way, but is is sheer term determination to win, and some people mm. say at all costs. You know, there's always stories that go around, but generally, you know, he put. I mean, even that 2010 team. If you look at their lineup now, if you yeah. look at the, you know, you, you had know, Holder Ward yeah. Watt Pedersen, you know, and uh, yeah. a couple of others. And it, it it's just, you know, an amazing team. And to do what we did that year was, was pretty phenomenal, really. And uh, and in the circumstances with Lewis running over Bomber, you know, which everybody still talks about <laughs> to this day. And, uh, you know, when you watch it back. And, yeah. and I don't... When I watch it back, you watch the rerun of Bomber and Chris Holder going toe-to-toe. Because I still think to this day, Holder should have gone for taking bomber off because he went across the grass and took his front wheel. Yeah, took his front um, wheel. But yeah. our good old, I think, do believe it's Dave Robinson was the referee at the time.
0: Was it? It, it would have been somebody with a Labrador, probably, because whenever you went to pool, you never used to get but that. Yeah, way you to know, it, it was you baby, know, to be not,
1: fair but for some reason, you know, but when you watch it clearly back, you know, not not dirty, just he took it. He took his front wheel away and if you look that back now in, in nowadays and they had the TV there and they could look at it and they put all four back in, but the race after it was absolutely phenomenal. Bomber, you know, they passed yeah. each other twice isn't, isn't. and they were tail to tail and the bomber yeah. cut back. He just cut back and then picked him on the line after just being run over by Lewis. You know, th- that race is, you know, whilst, you know, you saw what we did, but that race it just always sticks in my mind. And it just, just, don't, you know, people. I don't think it gets the credit it actually.
0: Yeah, the the, the bomber race, Alan, that you just mentioned, uh, heat six in, in the rerun. I mean, certainly being in there in the crowd and you know the atmosphere at the time because you, you, we also bomber pick himself up off the track and sprint back to the pits and then you know come back out and and do what sort of bomber had done for for many years for the club and and I think that heat was probably the the turning point on the night in terms of. You know, at that point, we're a few points down. But what, what was the sort of the journey like to get to that stage with the the final? Because the to be fair, at the start of your first season, 2010, I mean, we, we couldn't really beat an egg to start with until you, you made some changes in the background with, um, you have mentioned Lewis Bridger coming in. We got KK um, who came in and Shamek as well. So it, it must have been moving to Coventry. You've obviously talked about, the deal that you did with Sandu and then the first few meetings, it was a bit of a, bit of a tough ask.
1: Yeah, it was, a, it was, it was a tough start for me. And, uh, you know, I, I had to make my, I had to make my stamp and probably the biggest stamp that I did that I got rid of probably Coventry's little prodigal boy, Rory Sloan, <laughs> uh, and replaced him with Ka- Zach, because I've had a couple of dealings with Casper's Kas- Zach before. And, uh, and it was quite funny because we signed Chris, and Chris didn't get off to the best of starts, did he? No, he was struggling a bit. And uh, I don't know if I can say this, but um, when he was having a bad meeting, he'd come in
0: and he'd say, "Is the black man happy with me?" <laughs> I mean, that that's, that does all Eastern European. I mean, nowadays, obviously, there'd be a lot more made about that, wouldn't there? But yeah, um, but he, I say, and I and and the one thing
1: that really did
0: sort of make
1: um, you know, it, it wasn't. It was, that wasn't being racist,
0: yeah.
1: uh, but he was just Christoph being Christoph from, you know, from an Eastern European company. And he said he happy with me. I said, yeah. "Well, to be honest, Chris, you're going to have to start pulling your finger out." He, no, he's not really. Yeah. Well, he after that after that conversation, he went out and rattled off two unbelievable
0: wins. <laughs> yeah, and and he Christoph is is one of those riders that you come across throughout the throughout the the history of the sport that is such an enigma. He can be. Fifteen point max, so he can be one point from five rides. You never quite know what you're going to get until he turns up. Yeah, that's
1: right. And obviously, he was being being owned by Paul as well, and he was very focused. He was there was no there was no backing off for him. He, he wanted it as much as everybody else wanted it. And uh, he, you know, to, you know, after the halfway through, when he started getting going, then he was pretty consistent week in week out for us. Yeah. In
0: fairness to him. And Lewis, it's just been announced this week that that Lewis is returning to the sport. Um, another young British rider who who seemed to come on the scene, seemed to have all the all the bits that, that you would need to become a top rider, but it never really never really fell for him, did it?
1: No, I mean, you know, he could, I thought he could have done better than he did. You know, he had good equipment, um, but like, you know, if you, if you if there was a, um, a chat with Shane Childs the other night. Uh, on Charles's chat line with him and he spoke a lot of sense and it was quite understood what, you know, what, what he was saying. And he's kind of gone away and now he's coming back with no pressure on him and just gonna, you know, not, not put himself under that pressure, but he certainly had the potential and that's why I brought him in and he didn't hit the heights, which we thought he would, but he still did a decent job at times. Yeah. And, um, Yeah. And then obviously we had, um, it was a time of the uh, reserves. Um, I'm still paying for it now. Um, I remember it was between Josh Orty and Richard Sweetman. Yeah. And at the time, Richard just really sort of made that place his. And I know Josh, even till to this day, still dislikes me for it, (laughs) sadly. Um, But you have to make them decisions. And and Richard was the rider that was scoring the points and, beating good riders too from that uh, and banging in eights, nines, tens, elevens and twelves from the reserves berth. And so I couldn't really not drop him.
0: Uh, and towards the towards the end of that season, after you've made those changes, the, the team you're getting towards end of August, early September, and the team are really beginning to click. And with the with the playoffs being covered at the time by Sky and and, and the great TV coverage that we had, um, a lot of people were were tipping us to to come through the playoffs and 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 to take the title, which we eventually did, but we dismantled, uh, dismantled Peter in the semis, and that must have given you a a real sort of confidence boost that we could we could get past the Pirates in the in the two-legged final.
1: Well, I do believe um, that there was a few factors that got us there, and and it wasn't you know contrary. I know Matt still says that I pulled a fast one on it. Um, Obviously, we were twenty six points. You know, we finished fourth, but twenty six points behind Paul, yeah. which was quite a lot. It was still a good effort by us to get there. You know, from our precarious uh, position at the start of the season, and um, yeah, I always remember I get a phone, I got a phone call from Shemick. He was he rode in Germany, uh, unbeknownst to me, and we we had some we had some great people around us uh, at the time when David Rowe, which. I then carried on, took David with me, with Team GB, with his knowledge and everything. Yep. And we had the um, the guy that did all the stats. He would sit in the room, tell you what gates were the most, you know, come off the best gates. He'd sit there and analyse it. The guy with beard and glasses.
0: Yeah, Dave Raybottom, I think. That was Dave. Uh, he used to sit in the little box on the on the first corner.
1: Yeah, in the corner yeah. in that little wooden box. Because then, because yeah. I remember always remember going to Coventry. I couldn't. It, when they changed everything around, I didn't like the positioning. And I got um one of the dog. Uh, I got one of the um uh dog um podiums, and uh, I still I used to stand <laughs> on the box there on that first corner. Yeah, that one made that my position. That was my spot. And uh, in the end, they made me a bigger box so I could be up a bit higher as well. In the end. <laughs> And, um, yeah, and I always remember now, even Matt still to this day thinks I pulled a thing. And we got Dave Robottom and Dave Rowe, and it was generally just a fluke. I, I, I ain't going to say it was a marker genius or anything, or it was a sly underhand thing. But Shemick had a crash in Germany, and he rung me up and he said, I've injured my arm and I'm struggling a little bit. He said, I could probably come back. He said, but I'm not feeling 100%. And I said, well, I'd rather you... Being fit, ready for the for the playoffs, yeah. than that because then that him missing that one meeting made Chemik stay down at reserve. At birth, yeah, but Matt still to this day is adamant that it was a, it was it was a flanker pulled by me, um, but I can honestly tell you there was no flanker. Uh, it was purely um, just I just said to him look, no, don't don't risk it. We can't afford it. We can get by this meeting without you. We're, we're, we're in the playoffs now. Yeah. I think we, we, we um, got our place, and I can't remember what meeting it was he missed, but he missed it, and then he
0: stayed at reserve. And so you know, work that did work in our favor massively. Uh, and you, you can imagine that's something that Matt would probably have done himself had. Oh, without oh, he, he
1: still goes on about it to this day. <laughs> he still, when, you know, I took. He's moved to France, and we're st- we're still good friends. Yeah. And um, and he still talks about it now to this day. I never, you know, you, Paul. I I spoke to Shemek. You now nah, you can speak to who you like mate. I'm telling you, it was more more of a fluke than than um, pulling a, a flanker, which I'm sure he's done a
0: few in his time over the years. Yeah, you can you can have this one on us, but you can remind him of a knockout cup final when Antonio Limbach fell off at Brandon in Heat 14, and the Pirates needed two five ones to win the title, and he fell off and there was nothing wrong with him. He was bouncing around in the pits and he was celebrating in the end and they managed to bring a, a tactical sub in because they were so far behind and they got the two, five ones and, and won it by a couple of points and that still rankles. So you can have that one. And a, so you can give that to Matt next time you, uh, he gives you a bit of stick. You can have that.
1: Okay. I didn't know that one. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I will say, hang on, mate.
0: Yeah, ask him uh, about remember. Antonio's doctor's note. That's all we, that's all we need to know. Um, so you, you've made it to the final. Um, We've touched on on the fact that Swindon, you hit the crossbar and, you know, obviously we were the main nemesis for you back in 2007 where, you know, your, your Swindon side at that time with Lee and Charlie Jeddy and, and people like that who were a great side but but just fell short in, in the finals. So you've gone into the final with, with us versus... And, and
1: 2009 against Wolverhampton, we
0: lost. Yeah, yeah, so so you'd hit the crossbar. You've got to the final with us. You've, you've got a team that are... Firing, they're gelling, um, and you mentioned earlier that you know the pool team, which was Darcy, Chris, Biani, Davey Watt. And, and amazingly, I know we're we're sort of ten years ago, but their reserve pairing at that point was Leon, Madison, Jason, Doyle. Um, you know, it shows the strength and depth that they had. And how did you feel? We obviously wanted to take a lead down to Paul for the second leg, but to get a twelve-point win must have must have been more than you'd have hoped for.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, it was a very wet night. And obviously, I think, being the cameras being there, I think on a normal night, it probably wouldn't have gone ahead. Yeah. It was pretty tricky, and kind of fell into our hands that night. And, uh, you know, they came... I think we were cruising at one stage, but they came back at us again, didn't they? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was a bit disappointed. That, like, I was always nervy of going to pool, knowing with that spearhead of Ward Holder, Pedersen mm-hmm. what, that, you know, anything could happen, like, you know, but I guess the rest is history. The boys just rode out the skins and Shemick up reserve. Touche. Um, <laughs> um, you know, was was the match winner. And I, I remember on the night um, down at Paul that Ben Barker got really upset with me because I dropped him and, and put Shemek in. And he just went out and got another 5-1 for us. Mm.
0: And uh, yeah, no, Ben wasn't too. And I think Edward was injured at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, Eddie got injured the week before. He crashed out in, a, I think it was a cup match the week before. So that sort of put plans into into a bit of chaos as well. Yeah, that's right.
1: So, uh, yeah, I remember in the meeting, I remember Ben going mad at me in the pits, going, "Why oh, are you doing that? I'm just about, I'm ready. I'm, I'm up for it. I'm going for it. And I just looked and I just sat there and had a thought. And I went, nah, I'm putting Shemek out. And I put him out and he got a 5-1. And we kind of then started motoring on. Yeah. I think we won it by heat 10.
0: Yeah, it was uh, uh, certainly by Heat 10, I think we were pretty much in the bag. And then I think they...
1: I remember, always remember, never forget it, just seeing a, a absolutely packed Wimborne Road grandstand and just next minute I looked up there, it was just empty.
0: Yeah. They, they it just it was just
1: surreal. Like, just like, I thought, that's it. When when I looked at that, I knew we'd got it then. Yeah. I knew uh, kn- knew we'd got it then because the, the, the fans had just, just left in their droves.
0: Yeah. Uh, and we took a we took a fair following. I mean, Coventry have always been, um, you know, a club that had been well supported on the road anyway. But certainly that night, you know, I was in the grandstand with, with a, a group of us. The second bend was just, you know, swathed in, in yellow and black and, and banners and whatever. And uh, three, five ones in the last three heats meant that not only had you won the league, but you'd, you'd won both legs of the grand final. And uh, obviously hitting the crossbar a few times, it must have been quite a proud moment. Maybe... Tinged with a bit of sadness that it wasn't with Swindon at that point, but but must have been an emotional moment too.
1: No, I mean, I got I got no regrets whatsoever. I think Coventry made me who I am now. Um, I think if I hadn't have gone away, um, and I think the only reason I uh, I I'll be blatantly honest, the only reason I left is when Sandu sold it to Mick Horton. Yeah. Um obviously I had the free reign of i all, all the clubs that I've you know, when I first come in I had the reins of building the team. And then the next minute we, we go to the dinner and dance and obviously Mick was unveiled as the new owner. And then the next minute he comes in to me, so oh, I've signed Scott Nichols, I've signed Edward Kennett. I went whoa, oh, hang on a minute. Whoa, whoa, stop I said you you build him from the top down. You can't work it like that. And yeah. and I and I just and at the time I've had my ups and downs when Gary Patchett was at Swindon, you know, and sadly them timed with the money situation and that, but Gary fair play to him. He had the balls to actually ask me to come back. And um, in 2012, and uh, that was with all the up- uproar with Coventry and all of the thing. And I just thought, you know, this is going wrong. This is going, Coventry are going in the wrong direction here. Not, that Scott or Edward were not decent riders, but he just like come in and said I've done this like no 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 consultation no nothing, and I I just, I just felt very uncomfortable about it, and and that was the reason why I, I didn't stay at Coventry because I felt that and I say I got a phone call out of the blue from Gary because they'd had a had a, had a, had a they'd had Ronnie uh, then they had Jan Steckman, and then Gary had the balls to ring me up and ask me to come back, which not many other people would have done that. Mm. And i tipped tip me out to him for that. Um, we don't speak now, sadly. Um, you know, he's blocked me on Twitter, and unfriended <laughs> me on Facebook, which i am I never lost any sleep over it. But, you know, in fairness to Gary, he did have the, the, the old Dutch courage to make that decision. Um, but in fairness, when I did come back, Things were a lot better, you know. I left for the right reasons. Things what well, I wasn't very comfortable with Terry and, and that, but um, we were, we were doing things right, and uh, so yeah, I, I, I came back, and uh, as I say, that was the reason why I left because Mick was just steaming on no. with no thought, just doing this, that, and I just thought, listen, for me, and, and, and I didn't really feel comfortable with Mick to be honest, I got no beef with him. Nice guy. Yeah, outside of Speedway, but uh I I I wasn't very comfortable with 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 the new promotion type setup.
0: And obviously the, the decision that you took to, to accept the offer from Gary and go back to Swindon when you look back on it now was was obviously a a, a major benefit for you and, and certainly the right decision because you've been you've been, you know, title success and, and had a, a really sort of you know Good time at Swindon in terms of improving them from from sort of ten years ago to where they are now.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, 2011 wasn't such a good year for us at Coventry. We'd won the league in ten, and things didn't kind of go to plan. And as I said, and then obviously the upheaval with with Sandu selling and mm. all all the arguments at the AGM with Alan Trump uh, and things like that. It, it, it was a little bit unsavory and very uncomfortable at the AGM. Uh, for me and Colin, we were put in a very awkward position uh you know that 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 was the that was the, that was the downside of, of the time at Compton. and hence probably why I went back to Swindon really because it became all very bitter very very yeah. arguments and everything, and it was something that I wasn't really kind of used to, and uh, I didn't really like it, and as I said, with Mick coming in and just steaming on in doing what he wanted to do. And it wasn't the way that I was told I was going to carry on in the same role that, you know, this was a deal that we we were left in the same position. And I came away from the, the dinner and dance and I decided, I thought, nah, I said, this is not for me. Yeah. And then out of the blue, I got a phone call from Gary. Uh,
0: and and one, one final highlight, Alan, from your, your final season, 2011 with us was, um, something that really captured the imagination of of not just bees fans but certainly kings lynn fans because I, I remember on his on his debut we brought Emil over to the uk yeah um, somebody who at that time and, and it's it's frightening to think that that was you know 10 years ago that Emil rode on these shores but what what was it like to to deal with Emil? cuz i know you you were quite close to that that sort of the team at that point
1: yeah no uh, it was something you know um you know, we we, we we were struggling at the time and Sandy said, what can we do? You know, he pulled us in. He was never, he was very laid back, Sandy. He was really, really decent bloke, really. And I still got a lot of time for him. I still ring him occasionally now out of the blue or he'll ring me out of the blue. The last time we met, sadly, was um, uh, poor John. John from um, Build Base. Yeah. Not John... Um, Colin North, sorry. Yeah. Colin the tent Yeah. The Tang tool. Colin North. We met. We, we we saw each other. Myself, and him. We had a conversation. Jeremy Heber was there, and um, yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, Sandu was a uh, was
0: was a good was a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he he was always somebody that was um, you know the, the fans loved the fact when he took it over and, and he. He did transform the club in the time that he was with us. And, and it's, it's obviously... Yeah. Sorry,
1: I, I went a bit off track then.
0: Uh, uh, somebody was in, uh, shouting at me in the background. Um, <laughs> yeah, apologies. Um, yeah,
1: no, Emil. Yeah, no, Emil. When we sat down in the office, me him, and Colin. And he said, well, what can we do to get Emil? What can you do to get Emil over here? And I said, well, leave it with me. And uh, unfortunately, we rode about five away meetings before we actually got the benefit. And every other club in the country got the benefit of mm-hmm. Emil. Of seeing Emil, I think Kings Lynn was the first match. Yeah. Birmingham, he was at, and eventually we, you know, we had a patch brand in that night when Emil made his, you know, his debut at Coventry, and uh, I've, and from them days on, we've still stayed close friends. He asked me to help him out in 2019, in the last one, he wanted me to go over to Poland, just to maybe settle a few nerves because he was close to winning the world championship. Yeah. Didn't quite make it, but still, a, you know, second
0: place. Was it second or third? Yeah, I think it was second, I think. But he, um, he's certainly somebody that, that when he rode, uh, he's one of those riders that only made a, a small handful of appearances for the club, but somebody that the Bees fans will remember because at that time he was, he was you know, the hot shot. You know, he'd had the uh, he had the infamous punch-up with Scotty and, and that sort of stuff. And Emma yeah. was great to watch. And it was great that riders like that would turn out for your club.
1: Yeah, no, I think it was when I was at Coventry uh, and then then he asked me to help and every time I, he, he'd come to Cardiff I'd always get a phone call uh, or if I'd turn up at Cardiff and they go, here mate, Susie and Emil would say, yeah, put the coat
0: on come and sit in the corner with us So how uh, you, you've gone back to Swindon your time at Brandon has finished how, how would you reflect, Alan, on your time uh, at Brandon, both as a rider and as a co-promoter it holds some very good memories. You've obviously, you know, the way you spoke about the club today still shows that, you know, it, it's had an impact on you. But how would you reflect on your time at the club?
1: I think successful would be the word. Obviously, just one season in the six-point average for a young kid at reserve and uh, with the team that we had at the time. Um, and then, obviously, management. Just coming my first year to win the league, you know, was was very very special and certainly, as I keep saying, I got that monkey off me back really, and uh, I, I think Coventry was the making of me. Simple as that, in management
0: style. And and what's um just finally, Alan? What's your sort of the thoughts on you? You probably saw the start of of the demise, I guess, of of the club when you you left at the end of 2011. Um, but what's your thoughts on on how Brandon is now and. The sad statement oh, you see—it's—it's—it's
1: see. it's, it's, it's really sad to see, and uh, you know, we we when when you see or or you know, I I look on the Facebook pages, and somebody sneaks in and goes around. It's, it's it's heartbreaking seeing you know a stadium like that and all the arguments that's going on, and you know, I just wish that the councils would get their heads together and just let these people take it on again and, and put it back to, bring it back to its former glory yeah and uh as i said i'm confident there's enough people in the brandon area that whilst it looks very run down and that I'm, I'm i'd be confident there's enough business people and certainly when you got the guys of like jeff davis pushing on you know doing what is relentless hard work trying to get the bees back there and you got to tip your hat to Jeff for all the hard work he's doing. I just hope that he does get that get gets it over the line. And I don't know where you are, where it is at the moment, but uh, it's a very sad state of affairs to see. And just see something, and just people, you can see a lot of maliciousness that's going on, and the damage that's being done is is quite clearly being done deliberately yeah. uh, to make it look what how it is, and make it think that it's uh, and you know not retrievable.
0: Well, Alan, it, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. I know that there's a lot of um, a lot of beat fans who, who like I said, will never forget that night in in October. And, and thank you for everything that you did while you was at the club during that period. Because it was actually you were the last team manager to to lift up a, a major piece of silverware. I'm not sure if you was aware of that, but no, you know,
1: I hope I, I I really hope I ain't the last one. Yeah, um, it would be very sad if it is because you know the 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 charles you know probably charles would be turning in his grave if he could see
0: it now if he could come back
1: now i'm sure
0: he would sort it out yeah i'm sure he would well alan thanks so much for your time it's been great catching up with you i'm sure everybody will enjoy listening to it and uh let's hope that um i can i can bump into you sometime next year down at swindon and, and everything's back on track and and uh, well hopefully
1: 22 fingers crossed yeah. you know with everything going on and uh yeah, it's uh, we're all in a very, very weird times with this COVID at the moment. So it's tough times, you know, just like to wish people to stay safe out there, you know, look after each other and uh, just be nice to each other. It's
0: not hard. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, that's great. Thanks for your time today, mate, and, uh, and good luck for the future. Yeah, thank you. Hope you enjoyed a few insights. Uh...
1: Thanks, mate.